The following is brought to you courtesy of the No Phony Podcast Network, home of independent awesomeness. This is all about me. We got a call from Washington University, the dean. He said, you have a filthy mouth. I don't know anything about raisins. I don't know anything about the raisins. I'm going to be fired. No biggie. Hey, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me today, Bill Sebald. How you doing, Casey? Good, man. How are you? Doing good. Good. How do you, how do you think that uh, episode last week went with Scott Schwartz? That was really fun, man. Scott had a lot to say. Yeah, and like I said in the interview, we are now blocked by Corey Feldman on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I posted on Twitter. I I asked Feldman if he want if he wanted to come on our show and accept uh, Scott's challenge to the wrestling match to the no holds barred wrestling match. Sounds like a no. Yeah, that was a no. We got blocked. Oops. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, if you uh, want to go check back and check out our last week's show with Scott Schwartz from The Toy and uh, Kid Co. and A Christmas Story, you can follow us on uh, Twitter. We're at Deluxe Edition Pod with just one E. Same on Instagram. Deluxe Edition Pod, and on YouTube, we're at, uh, just find us at Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast. Speaking of pop culture, Bill, this guest that we had on this week, I mean, he's been in every television show that you could think of. Yeah, I think he's been, I think I read that he was in over 100 movies, and I'm pretty sure I've seen every single (laughs) one of them. I know I said to him at one point, I said, you know, you, you got one of those faces. It's like everybody recognizes you, it, it, but it's got to be like from a million different things. You know, it must be crazy walking around like you're a hundred different people. <laughs> I can't yeah. even fathom that. <laughs> Some of his acting credits include Escape from Alcatraz, Running Scared, Armed and Dangerous, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, Home Alone, Billy Madison, Friends. Breaking Bad, and El Camino. He's also a writer, director, producer, and editor. We welcome to the show the great Larry Hankin. How do you... Oh, that's me. Wow. That guy is pretty cool. I, I'm, I, I'm okay, but that, that guy's pretty cool. I don't know who that guy is. That, that's, that guy has fans and stuff. So, But yeah, it's, it's hard to put it, it together. You know, you just go from what you don't think about that. I was told that that information that you just told me about yeah, the 184. And all of, I was told that by other podcasters. I, I, you know, you just go from one job to the next. You know, where's when's my next job? You know, I've, I haven't had a job for three weeks. I haven't had a job for two months. You know, you, so you're not you're not you're not doing that. You're, you're just looking for work. Uh, so I was very surprised by it. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, but it's, I'm, I always wanted to get a, a body of work. 
that that's the important thing that not just do one or two but so that's cool you know and and i'm i kind of but i i've got another project going and i got a couple of more projects so so you ain't seen nothing yet that's that's kind of the the overture that's great now we're gonna yeah now we're gonna get into the uh, the good stuff the larry hankin stuff like that see that over there and that over there we were admiring your artwork yeah Oh yeah, well as long as you're admiring my my work, here check this out. This is this is really cool. I mean, because it's on because what what we're doing, uh, you know how how we're doing it. Okay, you see this right here? Mm -hmm. Okay, ready? Oh, merchandise, merch, nice. merch, yeah. So we're starting, that's going to be, we're, we're starting it. And the color, if you'll notice, the colors match perfectly. Yeah, I looked for a long time for the t-shirt the place to, to then they're very rare. I guess they're getting better, as everything is, you know, digital and copying and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so uh, uh, yeah, it took me a long time to find uh, the, the place. I got 42, 42 t-shirts, uh, you know, so. Uh, okay, I, can I, hey, all right, here's the commercial, and then we'll go get on. TheRealLarryHankin.com. That's my website. Not LarryHankin.com. Somebody stole that, and they're trying to sell it to me. <laughs> it's my, that is such an affront. That is such, that, that is so rude. It really is. I mean, that's my name, man. That's my website, and you have it and won't give it to me. That's crazy. So it's the real LarryHankin.com, and it's got my videos on it, and, uh, and eventually the T-shirts are going up like next week and stuff like that. And, you know, there's biographies and all, all stuff. The real LarryHankin.com. Okay. That's, that's that. That's done. <laughs> but that's well, what's not coming, plus the movie, plus the movie. So I have a question for the real Larry Hankin. So you've done so many things with, yeah. the, with the acting, you know, all kinds of different performing, your, your paintings, uh, comedy. To me, that kind of body of work is just fascinating. Everybody who sees you says, oh, I know that guy from something. So you just, you're kind of everywhere. What is the thing that you have done that you are the most proud of? Like you look back and say, that is the thing that really made me the proudest, even if it's something that a lot of people don't know about. I, I get right off the top of my head, it would be three things. My stand-up. Before I became an actor, I was a stand-up comedian. And uh, I was opening for Miles Davis and the Love and Spoonful and the Kingston Trio and the Blues Project and Dave Van Ronk and Tom Rush and just uh, Ian and Sylvia. That part of my life, I mean, I was good. I was really good. Good enough to open for like Miles Davis and some really people who I really look up to. And I was opening for them. And Woody Allen, I was opening for Woody Allen. But and I never wrote anything. The, the the reason that I'm proud of it is because I always got up on the stage for the first three minutes, two minutes. And the interesting thing about audiences, they will give you two minutes of their time free of charge. You can say anything you want, do anything you want, and they'll sit there and they'll just listen, checking you out to see, is this guy worth it? Um, you know, they're interested. They're curious, not interested. They're curious. What What is this guy? And after two minutes, that's it. You, you've, you've made your statement, and now they'll boo or hiss or clap or laugh or, what, you know, whatever you're there for. Uh, so I use that. I learned that uh, the open uh, Monday night open, night, open mic nights is where I started in Greenwich Village. And I just went uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And you just go around. 
and you, you go to the early show and then you go around and you come back and do the late show and you go all the way around. So that I was really proud of because I worked it out with the audience. I would come out two minutes, I would try anything, then I would go into the stuff I knew would work and then you go from there. But it was all improvisation and then set in memory, but I never wrote anything. So that's one. Then two was uh, my time at the committee. I was doing really great work. We were doing really great work, but it was stage work, you know, so only the audiences who came to see the show. We were there for 10 years. So, you know, a lot of people saw us. But we were at a, whoever was in that company, in my company, in the opening company, we went through about four or five companies. And I always stayed. I never wanted to go to Hollywood. So I stayed through 10 years I was there. Uh, and I loved it. And I only wanted to do that. Again, no writing. You just got up there. You did it. There was a director who, you know, um, you know husbanded the thing, who, who shaped it. But, he, ne- he, you know, he never gave us anything. It was all our words, our improvisation, and he just shaped it. So that was the second thing. <laughs> and the third thing was um, two scenes in, in two different uh, TV shows. Oh, one, uh, well, no, one was a movie. It was called Star Chamber. And there was uh, two scenes in that. Uh, one was when I was looking through a garbage can. I was an undercover cop looking for uh, evidence that I seen the, the crook throw in the garbage can as he went, ran into his house. You know, so that, that whole scene between me and my partner, I, I just always loved it. I don't know why. Just my attitude, my whole thing. So I really loved just that scene. And then the other one was a scene I did with Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad when uh, he tried to sell me the uh, Winnebago. And I was inside the Winnebago, and it was just me and Brian talking. And he was trying to impress me with who he was and how much money. And I just wasn't impressed with, with either uh, White or, or Brian. <laughs> I just yeah. wasn't impressed. And I love that attitude because it, it was just perfect for the scene. I just made a good, a good choice. Uh, so those, those three with, with, with Brian, it had to be with Brian. I mean, he's a, an incredible actor and he just took it and, and he, he fed me great actors that, you know, I've been, I've been working. I have worked with really good, great actors, really solid guys who, you know, you want to act with and learn. And every one of them, maybe like three or four, Clint Eastwood was one of them, uh, Brian Cranston, the, 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 the best. They don't try to take the scene away from you. They give you the scene, man. And what that does, I discovered, I, I, I saw this when working with Clint Eastwood, is what he becomes, what they become, and they know it. I think they know it, or maybe they just have it in their DNA. They become a cork. They float on your energy. So they just feed it to you, you know? Whatever you want to do, baby, here, here. And they just react. They got here. And you go, and they go just, here's some more. (laughs) And you just go on here, more. (laughs) And they just fry. And you can't get them. You're like always. Right. And, And it's such a technical, beautiful you know, in, in intuitive thing. Are you able to do that with scripts or is that sort of done? Like no, that happens. A loose script and- 
No, dance that happens this. right on the camera as it works. You can't, there's no, even when you rehearse, they just rehearse, you know, we're just rehearsing. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm going to go over here. You know, I'm gonna, uh, it's okay if I, you know, pick a, give you this. But then when on the screen is, you know, it's like literally capturing lightning in a bottle. It's what happens. And, and sometimes you just can't do it again. I mean, there, there is an intuitive, uh, you know, jazz, fleeting, you know, bird in flight uh, that happens. And, and they go, okay, let's do it again just for insurance. And it's, you know, they always use that, that, that take, that uh, take. Uh, then, then there's a, a fourth one when I did Barry, the, uh, the old guy, the hitman. Uh, the interesting thing about that, I didn't know I was doing well. I mean, I didn't know I was serving the, the, the script. That's when I talk about doing a good job or well, it's what I mean is I'm doing my best and I'm telling that story that the director and the writer wants to tell. That's, that's when you're doing well. And, uh, I am not an actor. I'm a stand up comedian. I, I'll say that. Or I'm a, a stand up, uh, social anthropologist is what I am. Uh, so, uh, uh, and so as acting, I try my best, you know? And so when Barry, I got the script, I have eight, I have ADHD and dyslexia at the same time. So, uh, I, I, I misinterpret a lot of things. So I have to study things really hard to exactly get, know what, what's, what's the meaning of this. And I really want to do good because I loved, uh, Bill Hader. I, I love him. He's, uh, one of, uh, he's like, He's going to be, if, if not already, he's going to be like Clint and Brian and De Niro. And he's got it. Whether he uses it or not, I don't know. But, man, he, he's a good director. He's a, he's a fine director. He's a good writer. He's a funny guy, man. So I really respected that I was going to work with him. He's going to direct me. So I took it very seriously. I, I don't take acting too seriously. I try to do the job, but. This I made a backstory for. That's how serious I was. I've never done a backstory. <laughs> I, I worked my little heart out. So I did it, and I'm, and I'm learning this line. So, you know, I, okay. So he's coming from Europe, from Moscow, wherever. It's Russian. They even said, would you mind if we had a, uh, what is it called? A, 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 a teacher that teaches accents, you know, a coach. Uh, sure. The language coach. Would you mind if I, I said, no, no, that would be really cool if I did that. Uh, if you did that, I, I'd need the help, you know. So meanwhile, while I rehearsed, I used my, my improv committee, second city Russian accent. Yes, yeah, da, yeah. So I was rehearsing. So I get there, you know, I had all this backstory and story, you know, and he has this family and he's a hitman and, so I get on the set and I can't find the language coach, you know, the accent coach, whatever you call it. Uh, and nobody's saying anything to me and, and nobody's coming over because they're busy with, you know, this is Bill Hader's like first or second. It, the, the show hadn't, uh, I don't know, the, I, I think it was in the beginning of the show. It hadn't hit, hit the air yet. So they're doing, you know, the first six and then they, they finally pick the, uh, the one they're going to start with. They just do six. And then the best one, they'll do that. And then the rest follow. So he hadn't been on the air. So everybody was very busy and focused on their thing. And they just ignored me. So I just, oh, okay, fine. 
And then all of a sudden a guy comes in and he says, okay, Larry, you're up, which means you're, you're, you're on, you're, you're going to do your scene now. And I still hadn't talked to the coach. So I go, okay, fine. So I was using my uh, committee uh, improv Russian accent. So I'm doing the thing. And what you want as an actor, I think me anyways, you, you want the director to, you know, take you by the shoulder and say, I want to talk to Larry. We're going to come over here and talk about the scene, you know, the intent and the character. But all the great actors, I've worked with John Houston. I've worked with, you know, uh, Larry David and uh, all the things in between. And the great ones don't give you any any direction at all. Uh, and John Houston said, the reason is, he says, it's all in the casting. Why would you cast an actor? Because you're casting the actor because he has great ideas. I mean, you know, you see him. Wow, man, that's like a cool audition. Why would you tell him something when, when you're hiring him for his ideas, for his choices? You know, like Al Pacino, you know, you don't direct him. You, you, you're your safety net, you know, if he goes too far out. Which Al Pacino said, that's what he uses directors for, as a safety net. Not to give him directions, but he likes to take chances. So Bill Hader wasn't giving me any direction at all. And I was like really nervous because I had done all this homework. I'm, I'm using a committee accent. You know, I'm thinking I'm screwing up here, you know. But I go through the whole day, no direction at all. I do my scene. <clears throat> and he says, okay, Larry is uh, dismissed. You know, thank you. You know, they all clap after every, you know, hey, goodbye. So he comes up to me, says, hey, thank you, Larry. You really did great. And I said, wow, man. But I don't know. I could have done greater, man. You didn't give me any direction. What was that all about? I was so nervous, you know, because I was trying something. I'm just a stand-up comedian, you know. But, but thank you, you know. But I, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. I said, well, why didn't you give me any direction? He said, well, see, Larry, we didn't write the part that way. So I didn't know what the hell you were doing, but it was so cool. <laughs> that I didn't know what to tell you. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't our idea. But you did fine. I said, what about the accent? He said, no, it was fine. Everything was fine, you know. Thank you. I go, oh, cool. So there you go. Is that usually how it's done? Because I've always wondered if it's, uh, you know, you go to set, you have to memorize these lines, you have to get every line exactly right or else. And that seems like a lot of pressure. But the way oh, you're describing boy. it, it seems like a lot of fun. It seems like a musical kind of thing where you're jamming together. It depends. In that instance, yeah. And with a great director like John Houston, yeah. And not only that, they stick up for you. The great ones. The, the, the not so, and that's how you can tell. If the director is on your side and he's trying to help you get to where you want to go, that's a great director. If he's not on your side, forget it. You, you know, you're at, you're at the mercy of, a, you know, the gods, the acting gods. Because I've had, had directors who just destroy what I brought, you know, for, for the sake of his what he sees. Now, here's the, the whole point, and this is a, a flaw of Hollywood. It doesn't seem to matter when you, when you watch the show, but to the actors, it really does matter. And that is that there's two different casting. In movies, the director casts. He's there at the audition. In TV, especially in sitcoms, but in, uh, uh, but in uh, except for tent pole. HBO, you know, $5 million an episode. Yeah, the director is there. But when the director's not there, 
the direct the actors are cast by the casting director so the director only meets in TV the actor who's going to do the part when you're ready to do the scene on the day of the shoot or maybe two days before rehearsal so he doesn't cast you somebody else's taste cast you so that's why the TV directors have to give you direction because geez I you know Casting directors are not directors. <laughs> Hollywood, <laughs> they're not. So, you know, a lot of the times I'm cast by a casting director, and when I get to the director, he goes, oh, my God, you know. I just, uh, yeah, I didn't picture you being you. I, <laughs> uh, and then you get somebody like Barry who didn't cast me. He didn't. I, I just got a call. Hey, you, you busy on blah, blah, blah? Can you do... Uh, Bill Hader, yo, yeah, you know, and I just jumped at it. But uh, I didn't even audition. They just called me, said, you know, can you, can you do it? I go, yeah, of course I can do it. Can you ride a horse? Yes, of course I can ride a horse. <laughs> can you do a backflip? Yeah, sure. Are you kidding? <laughs> then you show up, and then they have to deal with you. <laughs> Which Bill Hader, you know, had to deal with what I gave him, but he loved it, man. He thought it was so so cool. I thought it was obvious. I was, you know, you, you know, everybody says the the if you have any questions about the story or anything, it's on the page or it doesn't count. It's got to be, you know, that's what a good story is, you know. All the answers are on the page, you know. So I looked on the page and that's what I came up with, you know. Boom. So so yeah, it is a lot of uh pressure especially in TV when the director is not the guy who casts you. It is a lot of pressure. Now, I have one short story I can give you an example of the, of the pressure that goes into, because you said all the lines you have to memorize and then the pressure. Uh, I'm Breaking Bad. In the Winnebago scene, where I just said my favorite scene was in with, with John, uh, with Brian, inside. Okay, I had two scenes that day. And that was my first day of, of acting on Breaking Bad, which I was a fan of. So there's more pressure because you want to be good because it's Brian and it's Breaking Bad. And all the fans that are watching that are not yours, are they going to go, get him away from there? They, they're really very covetous of, of their movies, of their fandom thing. So um, I get there. And so I do that scene and that's really cool. Now I have one more scene and that's when I keep the cop out of the Winnebago, right? Uh, you can't go in there because it's on my property and you have to have a search warrant. That's the gist of what I said. And that was the gist of my five lines. I had five lines and that's basically what I said. You can't go in there. So I, uh, so now generally what they do is each time there's a new scene, they give you a little book about that big. It, you can put it in your pocket. And it's for the actors on the set, so they can just take out their, you know, thing, and they can carry it with them. They don't have to, a big pages thing. So it's a little thing. And they lay that on your uh, dressing room table in front of the mirror. And it's done in all things, movies, TVs, big, little. That, that's the standard. The AD comes in, puts it there. You come in, okay, this is my next scene. Boom, I got it. So I go in and I look at it, and it's not five lines. It's an entire speech. It's a monologue that's fills the page from the top of the page to the bottom, a monologue. Now, I told you I have ADHD and dyslexia. That affects my memory as for memorization. 
different lines. So in my contract, I have that I have to get the script early, as early as possible. I'm one of the few people who get it immediately as soon as it's there. And if there's any changes, they got to be sent to me. Now, you know, if it's five lines, that no, no big deal. But I'm talking about a, a large part. Okay. I come in and there's this thing. And I go, what is this? I, I memorized five lines. And now there's... And the AD had walked me to my uh, dressing room. It was in a Win Winnebago. Uh, so he's in there. He says, you need anything else? You know, your, your costume is here, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, I just come back from lunch. I go, what's this? He goes, oh, Vince liked your acting so much uh, in the audition that he had the writer write you a long speech for this, this one, for the cop thing. And I just went freaked, man. No, what are you doing? No, man, no, don't you understand? No, I have to. I have dyslexia, man. No, you can't do How long do I have? Two hours, you're up. No, no, I need, I just, and, and he is backing off. And he go, hey, man, I got to get back to the set. No, he didn't want to be there. He just split. I got, oh, well, no, wait, where's Vince? I got to talk to Vince. Vince isn't here. And he's gone. And I'm just stuck with this page. Just like you said, that trauma of, you know. And I was like freaked. I, I was frozen. I, could, I tried. You know, I'm thinking two hours. I got to memorize. I can't do that. It's not happening, man. So, okay, so now the pressure is on. And the AD comes back and he says, okay, Larry, you're up. And I go, oh, man, Okay. Now, here's the second thing. Okay, I got ADHD, I got dyslexia, I can't remember this. This is too long. And also, I'm not going to cop to any of this. I'm going to go out there like nothing's happening because I know, and this is my go-to, always. When I get too stressed out, this is my go-to. I'm going to be fired. No biggie. No biggie. So let's just go through the dance. I'm cool, but I'm not copping to it. I am not copping to it. So I just walk out there. It's casual. And I go out there and it's, now I did have a backup. I thought, okay, if they break up the scene, you're like, cut to him, cut to me, cut to them, cut to me. If they break it up into small chunks of cuts, I might be able to get away with it. I might, if they just hand me the, that section, okay, I might be, I might be able. So I go up to say, the director is real all jaunty jolly. Hey, Larry, how you doing? He had just seen this other scene that I did with Brian and the thing. So he's thinking, oh, this is going to be cool. Uh, he's going to be great. Uh, so he goes, uh, everything okay, Larry? And I go, oh, yeah. Oh, but I have an idea of how to shoot the scene. Really? Okay. W what is it, Larry? I go, how about if we cut it up, you know, just, uh, you know, in small chunks, you know, like cut to me, cut to him. He goes, nah, we're going to do just a walk and talk. You know, just get about 100 feet down there. Just walk to the camera. We'll just do it in one take. That's it. And you, know, and you go home. Be really easy. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Okay, just get 100 feet down there. You know, so I walk 100 feet down the road. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is nuts, man. That sounds said, well, crazy. What? I mean. Is is it usually like that on a set? I mean, that you sound. It yeah. seemed a little like you were set up there. <laughs> uh, have you been fired from anything before? For no, yeah. I generally dyslexic my way through it. And what I mean by that is, one of the hardest people to fight 
is an insane guy because you don't know the choices he's going to make. You, you just don't know it. So you, you are like weaponless because, you know, in a fight, you, you can predict how it's going to go. He's big. He's going to do this. He's small. He's going to do that. I can finesse. But uh, in a situation like that, it's an insane situation for me. And even though they don't know it yet, for them, for the director and everybody else. But I uh, had decided that I was going to be fired. So it was, so everything had been, everything was past now. I was living in the future. I was fired. So I was Zen. I was cool. <laughs> I didn't care. Basically, I didn't Okay? That's my go-to. I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't need this. <laughs> Right, right. You know, but, you know, the producer's got, I've got a million dollars worth of writing on this day. Okay. So um, he said, okay, ready, Larry? I go, yeah, fine. He says, okay, now I figure, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I, I, I had two hours with the thing. I'm going to try it. I'll try to improvise legalese. Right. So I go, he goes, okay, and action, Larry. So I had the first two lines memorized. So I go, Blah, 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 blah. And now I'm in la-la land. I am improvising legalese. Trying to keep the cop out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laugh. Go ahead, laugh. And so I'm walking and talking. I'm walking and talking. I'm walking and talking. I'm thinking, wow. At least, you know, I'm, I'm, I haven't gone. I haven't stuttered. I haven't gone, uh. I, I'm just keep my mouth moving. Keep my tongue out of the way of my teeth. <laughs> keep going. And I get there, and they say, okay, boom, and done. And I thought, okay, now. And he goes, okay, let's do it again. Okay, just one more take. Okay, Larry, just get back there. Uh, okay, and he came me ready. Did I just memorize that whole thing? <laughs> that was amazing. Okay, we're doing another take. Now I don't have to worry. Now I can do an uh or um because he's got it in the can. He's got it in the can. <laughs> So I go back there, and I'm really jaunty jolly. I wasn't fired. I'm cool. So I go back there, and now I see I, I'm 100 feet away. You okay, Larry? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Uh, and all of a sudden, I see the, the script girl, who is actually a lady. I don't know where they got the girl from, but it's a lady. It's a woman. It's a grown adult woman. And she's walking towards me with the book and a pencil. Now, I, that's, I've been through this. You know, the script girl is there to keep you on, on book, on, on line. Okay, and she'll come up to you and say, you, you, you missed this word. It's an important word or you, you left out this sentence. That's an important sentence. So just do it again. So I understand that she's coming. And so I'm all jaunty dally. And I say, as she's coming up to me, I say, OK, OK, you know, what what line did I miss? And she just she didn't say anything. She just shows me the page. Everything is circled. Every other word is circle. I've never seen a page full of so many circles in my life. And I've been, you know, 20 years acting, 30 years acting. Never. It's, it was it's the entire speech is circled. And I go, well, I got the gist of it. I'm trying to be like, you know, joking. <laughs> I got the gist of it. And she says, the director wants it verbatim. And she was very adamant about that, you know. Uh, I guess she had never seen a page like that herself. I mean, she just thought, you know. <laughs> no, you can't make shit up. What are you, crazy? 
And then I'm, okay, I'm, I'm fired again. Boop, level calm. Okay, okay. So, so you got to say, say it as it's written. I'm going, okay, okay, yeah, fine, okay. So the director, anything wrong, Larry? No, everything's fine. And, and he takes the book and he starts walking towards me. And I go, okay, now this is not going to turn out well. If everybody's coming down towards me, no, I'm supposed to be going towards them. It's the wrong flow. I'm thinking, no, this is, but I'm, okay, I'm going to get fired. But now I have to go through the dance. You know, going, oh, well, can't you do it? Will you try? Can you do it? Well, I don't know. We're going to have to let you go. We're going to get, can you call somebody in? That's all going in my head. And I'm going, you know, I, I started to get defensive as he's walking towards me. I said, I want to talk to the writer. He said, the director wrote it. Oh, okay, fine. All right, fine. So he comes up and he says, is, is there something wrong? And I go to him, I go, no. And he says, uh, well, then the, the, the cinematographer now, yeah. don't you want to stand near the camera, Al? And the director's always standing. He goes, no, I'm going to walk with my actor. I go, oh, no, man, this is like baby time. This is kindergarten now. Oh, this is not being fired. This is demeaning. No, you're going to stand there with the book and walk with me? Uh, I didn't say it like that, but I said, you're going you're gonna to walk with me. He goes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got the book and he's got there. I said, okay, okay, fine. Is there anything wrong? He kept on saying that. <laughs> I said, no. And I kept on saying, no, no, everything's fine. She says, okay, fine. So she goes back. He says, okay. And he yells, and action, you know, camera, action, Larry. So I'm starting to walk. And I did the same thing. You know, just making up. And I see out of the corner of my eye, he's only about this far away, just right out of camera range, because it's like a cowboy. It's just this wide, and he's right there. And I see him, and he's got his head buried in the book, and he's walking next to me. And I'm going, this So I'm, I'm like schizophrenic. I'm saying, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. And I'm also improvising things. Okay. I get back down there, and he goes, okay, and cut. And I'm going, and you're fired in my head. And he goes, and cut. Okay, Larry's for, finished for the day. Let's everybody dismiss him. Thank you, Larry. Okay, and, and he shoves me away. Moving on. What the fuck happened? And then there's a limo right there because we're in the middle of the desert, and that car is going to take me back to the production office, which is an hour away. So there's a time thing. So I can't even ask anybody, what did I just do? What just, what happened? How... I don't, but no, I'm in the limo and they're going and I'm, I'm back there. So now I had to wait two weeks to watch what, what happened. And this is what happened. And I asked my friends to watch because I wanted to compare to see what happened was that guy, that director, Al, as soon as I finished my first two lines and made three more steps, he knew this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's saying. He knew that the entire time. And he let me go through the whole thing, improvising this la-la stuff, and, and then dismissed me because he knew I'm going to, because there was Aaron and Brian in the Winnebago, and there was the cop. And he knew he was going to take all the improvisation I did of this, this uh, law stuff, this law gobbledygook stuff, and he was going to edit it together as a voiceover. And he just picked all the things that I said, applying legally to keeping that cop out of there. 
And uh, the scene was originally five lines long, and he wrote an entire page. So it was up to him and the editor to make, because the script was sold as between five lines and a page. Right? And so he was cutting into, when you watch it, you'll see, he's cutting into Aaron and him while there's a voiceover of me talking. And then every once in a while, when I got a a cool line that I either had weirdly memorized or said that was totally apropos, they cut to me walking. You know how long it takes to say one or two lines? Mm -hmm. Three seconds, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Okay. In the entire scene with my voiceover cutting to the cop, to Aaron, to him, to the cop, to me, to four seconds, three seconds of me, that I was on screen for four times four, 16 seconds of, of just me. Now, I asked my friends, I said, what did you see? He said, oh, you were walking and talking and keeping the cop out of the Winnebago. Yeah, but what did you see? What, you know, what was the scene about? It was about you keeping the cop out of the... Yeah, but what did you see? I saw you walking down the thing and they're keeping the cop out. No, you didn't see that. I wasn't walking. I was on screen for 60, four, three seconds, maybe, maybe four. Four is a lie. That's like making it bigger than it is. Maybe three seconds. So 12, between 12 and 16 seconds, I guess. Movie um, magic. That's what editing is. And, and he, didn't bl- he didn't blink. He knew the entire time. He didn't say anything. You know, hey, Larry, thanks a lot. Boom. So that, and that is the answer to, uh, Bill is your name, right? Bill. That's, uh, that's the answer to your question about the tension and stuff. No, it, that's a great answer. And, yeah, but that, that's exactly what happened. It was all, <laughs> all in my head, all in his head. Everybody knew everything that was going on, but nobody told anybody else. You know, it was just... And we'll fix it in post. <laughs> so the, what, I, what I took away from it is you can't be bad. If there's a camera rolling, you can't be bad. Because if you're bad enough, they won't put you in the movie. Sure, yeah. And if you're just okay, it's part of the story. Then nobody's judging you. You know, there's a story going on here. You know, and if you're good enough to tell the story, you're good enough. You know, so it's, it's all... In post. That's what I love about making movies. It's so plastic. It's so malleable. You know, he could, it would have been great if I, but, uh, but I, luckily I improvised, uh, I improvised legalese very well. Thank you. Has it ever worked the other way where you think this is going to be this way on screen and then you see it and it's like worse and you're actually disappointed because it made you look bad or made you look like you're no i've never looked bad no they i'm always protected on uh i I, i've done i've seen me where i think i could do it better Mm. but that's not bad that's i can do it better uh but no i mean if you're if you're bad enough the way you're talking no then you just won't be in the in the the scene They'll, they'll cut around you no and i've had that well, where I don't, so I can't tell because I wasn't on screen. But I've been in parts where I had, uh, you know, a long enough speech to say something where it, it should have been on me because I'm, I'm saying something that's important. And yet I wasn't on screen. It was my voice saying it, but it was on somebody else. Reaction shots, the cutaway, which is a director's, editor's go-to safety. Get a cutaway. Get, you know, some, you got your Larry's talking, fine. Just get somebody else's face in case we don't want to be on Larry's face. For, for Fellini said the, the, the great thing. He was asked a question about framing. 
he said, well, you know, what, your, your framing, your frames are always so weird, so off kilter. What is that all about? What do you have in mind? Why do you do it that way? How, how do you come to that conclusion? He said, it's very simple. I just uh, focus the, the camera on what I want the audience to see, to be focused on. And I always put something in the background in case they don't want to look at what I want them to focus on. So I give them something else to look at. It's very simple. But it makes for interesting screen frames, uh, pictures and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways of compensating, cutting away, putting other things in the thing, you know. Now, Larry, I've heard, I've heard you say that uh, a couple of times through this uh, interview that you consider yourself a stand-up comic. Are you still active in the stand-up comedy scene? Do you, do you coming, still do? Coming, that's the next, the next chapter. Yeah, that's, that's the, the new stuff. The new stuff is all Larry Hankin. It's not working for anybody. It's just me. <laughs> this is all about me. You understand? Absolutely. It's me time. Could you go into a little bit about your, your early days when you were a stand-up comic? Well, okay. I mean, the, the interesting thing to me was I was awful when I started. Two years in a row, my junior year and my senior year in, in high school, I won funniest guy in high school. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. So, uh, so coming off of that, you know, I'm all <laughs> hunky, <laughs> hunky, okie dokie. Uh, I think I'm, you know, God's gift to humor. Uh, hey, man, I watched Milton Berle. I know what's funny. So I uh, started doing Monday night stand-up because I would go to, I graduated as an industrial designer. I, I was a, like an A student, you know, uh, but I, I, I didn't, I did that for my parents. You know, they wanted me to go to college. They wanted to pick a profession. So I picked industrial design because there was art involved in it, you know, like that. So I, I was, uh, but I didn't want to do it. And I was going to go to, uh, I think it was Ford. It was Ford because one of the teachers, uh, uh, one of my industrial design teachers used to design cars for, for Ford. He designed the T-Bird. I was taught by the, the guy who designed the T-Bird, the original T-Bird. Wow. So he was now teaching at Syracuse University. He was one of my teachers. So uh, I, I got an, a, an A, and then I just went with Carl Gottlieb, who's my best friend in Syracuse, who wrote Jaws, went on to write Jaws and many other movies. So we were roommates, and uh, I just quit. I just didn't go to Detroit to design futuristic cars. And I met, uh, I, I went to Greenwich Village with Carl, and we lived in the village, and he wrote uh, reviews for movies because he wanted to be a writer. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I really didn't. But I would go to these, uh, so I, would, uh, I was uh, cleaning duckboards in a, in a bar after 2 a.m. After uh, last call, I would work from 2 till 6 in the morning cleaning the bar and cleaning the duckboards and the bar and all the peanut shells all over the goddamn place. I don't want to see another peanut shell. Forget the raisins. I don't want to see peanuts anymore. That's, that's that. Okay. So, but I, I love the job really. And I wasn't sorry that I gave up like, you know, $75,000 a year. I didn't, I, I didn't kick. I don't want to do that. But I would hang around on Monday opening uh, open mic nights because, uh, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, you know, for a cup of coffee, you could sit there. And, and open mic nights are really very kind. They really are. They don't boo. If they don't like you, they'll just sit there until the next person comes on. You know, you're only on there for five minutes. Maybe if you're a special guest open mic night guy, <laughs> you'll, you'll, guess, you'll get 10 minutes maybe. No, it's three to four or five minutes. So they, 
but it, you know, and that's very nice that they do that. They don't boo because hey, what do they expect? It's open mic night. These are amateurs. So I, but a lot of silence. I had a lot of silence uh, in the beginning, in many, many beginnings. But I, 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 mean, I couldn't figure it out because, I, hey, I was voted funniest guy in high school two years in a row, man. What's wrong with New York and Greenwich Village, don't they? But slowly I began, began to see that, no, Larry, this is not high school. This is not your friend's. This is a stage. It, there's a, 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 if it's not formal, a formulation to it. There's a way to talk to an audience that's not like your friends, even though it seems like, you know, you're just rapping. Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. How you doing, folks? But uh, there's, a, there's a, and I started to pick up on the rhythm as I, as I listened to, because I was, you know, Woody Allen was playing the, the Greenwich Village also. And uh, uh, Noel Stuckey, who was a comedian then, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh, he was a uh, Peter. He was Paul. Uh, Noel Stuckey was Paul. So he was a really funny guy, uh, Noel Stuckey. Yeah. So, but there was a lot of professional guys. Uh, Richard Pryor was in Greenwich Village when I was there. So I was watching all the best of us g- grow. George Carlin was in Greenwich Village at the time. You know, among all the other, Bob Dylan was in Greenwich Village. He was, nobody was anybody then. There was no Bob Dylan. There was no Richard Pryor. There was no whoever. We just we were just hanging and running around, you know. Uh, so, but so I started to get the rhythm of say Woody or or Richard or this comedian. I said, oh, there's a rhythm to it. There's a there's hunks. There's pieces there. I started to, and finally after about six months, I was opening for Woody Allen. So that was cool in the Village, but he was now uh, right around the corner, number one Fifth Avenue. Some guy came in on open mic night and said to me, some guy, older person, and he said, hey, do you have a manager? And I said, no. He said, would you like one? I go, yeah, you know, everybody wants a manager. That's why we're all here, you know. He goes, okay, would you, how about me? I don't know who he was. I go, great, you know, just so you get a manager. If you have a manager, you can talk more in the group. You know, if you don't have a manager, you're just an open mic night guy. But if you got a manager, oh, you're a pro. <laughs> you're a pro, even though you're still working. You're still working open mics. You're a pro. You got a manager. So that's why I wanted. As I said him. Yeah, I didn't even ask questions. But it turned out it was Woody Allen's manager, and I didn't know that until one night he came. He said, "I'll just keep coming in every once in a while. I'll just check on you. Don't worry." But you know, it's my uh, Jack Rollins. Jack Rollins. She said, if anybody asks you, your manager is Jack Rollins. I didn't know who the hell Jack Rollins was. Uh, fine. So he comes, he's I got you another gig. I got your paying gig. I said, oh, why? So my first job out of open mic night was uh, number one Fifth Avenue, which was a Tony Bistro, a, a real nightclub, uh, right around the corner from Greenwich Village in number one Fifth Avenue, very chic, uh, uptown hotel, even though it was downtown, a hotel in, in Greenwich Village, number one Fifth Avenue. And I had to wear, he says, you got a tuxedo? I go, no, man, are you kidding? You know, Carl Gottlieb is stealing food for me. Are you kidding? My roommate is stealing food. No, I'm not. I, so he bought me. He didn't rent me. He bought me a tuxedo, Jack Rollins. I thought, who is this guy? And, and that's when I found out it was Woody Allen's manager. And within a couple of weeks, I was opening for Woody. 
you know, all around New York in these nightclubs. So that, that was how I started in, in show business. Wh- how I got out of show, uh, that became an actor was that I was in the Richard Pryor, uh, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin bag. And Woody is not in that bag. So it became very clear to Jack that my audience wasn't Woody Allen's audience. Because I kept on saying, hey, Woody Allen's on TV, you know? You, why, why, you know, I opened for him. I should be. And he's going, Larry, you, have, you don't have TV material. What the hell is TV material? I don't write. I just get up and talk. And he goes, well, you know, you, you can't. Can't say fuck and talk about marijuana and and, and dildos and you you can't you can't say that on television in 1960. You'll get busted, Larry. <laughs> I mean, and sure that's... enough, I was uh, you know Lenny Bruce, man. I was taken off the stage and, and so I was booked with other people, Ian and Sylvia, and the Love and Spoonful and. I was taken out. The cops came up and took me off the stage, man. They just marched up there. Okay. And they both arms and off the stage, you know, it wow. just didn't make the papers, oh. but I go, so I called Jack. So, so he thought he had an opener for Woody Allen, you know, and then you just go up together and then I become a star and he's got two big, didn't have any. He goes, like, <laughs> and so he's very surprised. So one day I called him from, uh, Right after I got pulled off the stage from the Love and Spoonful Arena concert in St. Louis, uh, in Washington University in St. Louis, cops, a phalanx, came down the aisles and up and pulled me off the stage. The Love and Spoonful officer, they were laughing like hell. And the audience is pulling the wooden armrests off of the seats, you know, like old movie houses, the wooden armrests. You know, if you push them that way, they come off. And the first two rows were throwing them at me. I thought, I said to them, I said, I said no, I was talking about the, a guy's cock. You know, I was saying, what's this? I was, ta- I was God. And I was saying, what's this? What's this between your legs? I, get off. We don't. And I thought, hey, hey, you're a college crowd. What happened to rock and roll? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. I'm talking to them. We don't want to. And, and, and then the guys in the back, when they, there's no more, they didn't have any more of these. And I'm, ducking them trying to and the listen no stay out there keep going they're telling me keep going and i'm ducking and finally i see because all the lights were on yeah they, they, they didn't in in well, i guess in college they didn't turn the lights out but anyway i see the guys and no girls were throwing anything it was only guys in the first row and the second row guys in the back rows were pulling their armrests off and passing them down for ammunition <laughs> to the guys in the front <laughs> What's going on? And then I see the cops coming down, coming up on the stage, and they just pulled me off and uh, loving Spoonfield going, boo, boo, boo the cops. They were booing the cops. And then, and then they, then this fellow, there's 10 cops on this aisle, on that wall aisle, and 10 cops on this wall aisle came up. Two cops took me up, then they held me backstage. Uh, or just stood next to me. I mean, there's no, they weren't angry. It was just their job. They didn't, I don't even think they understood why they were pulling me off. It was the dean had called the cops, get that guy off the stage. And now, 
So they were just uh, doing their job. So they just, I said, why are you standing here? And he said, we have to stand here until Love and Spoonful starts playing so you don't go back out there. You know, so, so, and then when they saw when Love and Spoonful started to play, they just, all right, bye. I mean, they weren't angry or anything. Bye. <laughs> bye. Thanks a lot. Wow. <laughs> Had some good stuff, man. <laughs> I was getting to the good stuff. <laughs> What a time. I mean, you must have a million stories about those days. Oh, yeah, man. Every time <laughs> I get up on the stage until finally from that concert. Okay, from there, I flew up to the end of the story. I flew up. We flew. The Love and Spoonful flew up to Northwestern University. I think it's in Michigan or Wisconsin, one of those. Two. Northwestern, I remember. We took the bus from the airplane, got off at the hotel. We were going to stay in, checked in. And as we got and we're going to the elevator, Three people stopped us, got in between the elevators. Is this the Love and Spoonful party? There was uh, a captain from the police department, a priest, and a gentleman, a gray-haired gentleman in a suit who turned out to be the dean of Northwestern. He says, is this the Loving Spoonful party? Yes. Is there a Larry Hankin here? And so the managers, so there was the Love and Spoonful, me, and two managers. And the managers got in between those three people and us and said, and turned to us, their backs to these three gentlemen, and they said to, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the drummer or whoever, I don't know, Steve, said, just go up to your room, go into Larry's room, stay there, lock the door, and don't open the door unless it's us, okay? Here you go, Okay. And so we just split and they just turned and talked to these three guys. So we went up in the elevator. We're laughing and going, oh, shit, man, what the hell? And, oh, one of the things they did say, said, why, why as before we left, before they said that, they had asked these three guys, uh, the, the dean, so what is this about? You know, why do you want to talk to Larry Hankin? What is this about? And they said, we got a call from Washington University, the dean. He said, you have a filthy mouth comedian. Uh, and we'd like to know about that. <laughs> so, so we're going to, and we're laughing about that. You know, you're going, hey, well, you're, you're, you're a filthy mouth comedian. Uh, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a stand-up social anthropologist. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that, there's a, a perfect. That's proof. <laughs> that I must stand-up social anthropologist. Right there, those three people. <laughs> that proves it. So uh, we go, go upstairs, and we're sitting there, you know, for about a half an hour, you know, and then finally there's a knock on the door. Hey, it's us, it's us. Okay, so let us say, so okay, all right, here's the deal. And they, they tell us, okay, they don't want Larry to go on. Uh, they say he's a filthy mouth comedian. Uh, we t- and so, oh, man, no we're, no, we're not going on. They, they say, we're not going No, no, hold on, hold on. So we talked around it. So what happens is, okay, they're going to let you go on, Larry. They're going to let you go on. As soon as you have any kind of filthy-mouthed comedy, lights going out, cops come on, pulling you off. That's it. No second chance, no nothing. That's it. And, and, and I go, well, I okay, we're going to dinner. And they get out of there. They left it to us. So it's Oh, you got to do your stuff. You got to do this. Thing. Wow, I don't know, man. You know, I mean, it's it's. I, I either I can't go on, or I got to clean up my act, and I don't want to clean up my act, but I want to go on. So they go, okay, do your act, and I go, 
okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my act. Okay. So I go out, ladies and gentlemen, they're here. Uh, and it was fine. I just, long story short, it was fine. They laughed at all the right places. Everything was fine. Nothing happened at all. Same show, same exact wow. show. N- nothing happened. However, the, the next gig, it was, a, it was a small nightclub opening for the Kingston Trio. Guy came at me with a beer bottle. Get the fuck off the stage and bring on a Kingston Trio. Not my audience. Wow. <laughs> Got it. Got it. No, no. Got it. Okay. Beer bottle in his hand. And, you know, in a nightclub, the stage is only that high. You know, there's a dance floor. And the band just stands in. So he was walking across with a beer bottle. And he was angry. He was upside down. And he was ready to hit me. I just walked off the stage. I called my manager. I said, okay, look, I'm not Richie Pryor. I'm not Lenny Bruce. I'm not even into drugs. I don't do drugs. I wasn't doing drugs yet. That was to come. <laughs> so I was really incensed when cops take me off the stage. And I'm not even high, man. I don't even get high. I, not yet. Wait, give me a couple of months. Let me get into it. Then fine, you can take me off the stage. So he said, well, join Second City. They're doing the same thing as Lenny and Pryor are doing, but they own the theater. So why don't you join that? So I flew back to New York. I was in Boston from that phone call. And uh, I joined Second City. There was a a troupe in in New York at the time, luckily, uh, in the village. Uh, So I auditioned and I got in uh, with... um, with Robin Williams, me and Robin Williams auditioned in the same, same thing. Okay, wow. so here's like the, the, the luck thing. Yeah, I mean, we went into separate companies, but I knew it was Robin Williams. He wasn't Robin Williams yet, but he still had the white uh, bib overalls and the uh, rainbow suspenders, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was Robin Williams. So this is an interesting thing. It has nothing to do with anything. Uh, but just about catching lightning in the bottle and dyslexia and how you get hired or why you don't. I was standing in line. We were getting ready to go in for the audition. There was a big line to audition for Second City. And um, Robin Williams standing in front of me. I mean, just coincidentally, I got online and and back uh, Robin. So we were just standing there, just just talking. He wasn't Robin Williams at the time. He was just another guy, but he dressed weird. So I was talking to him. And somebody said, uh, Paul, um, Paul, I forgot. Uh, the, the the runner, the head of Second City, the, the director of Second City was going to come out uh, and he was going to walk down the line. I don't know. We knew that Paul Sills, Paul Sills, Paul Sills was coming out. And I was thinking, well, I got to do something to get his attention. I wanted to stand out. And I said, somebody give me a cigarette. Somebody give me a cigarette. So somebody had a cigarette. I didn't even smoke. Give me a cigarette. And I thought, I'll flip it up in the air and I'll catch it in my mouth just as he walks by, you know. So his Paul Sills is coming down and, and I go, you know, you put the cigarette like this, you know, in your hand like that. And, and I did it. I did it. I did it. <laughs> and he noticed. He goes, wow, nice. And he kept on walking. <laughs> and I was blown away. I didn't know what to say. Oh, thanks. Uh, so when I did audition for him, I think maybe he had that in mind because the audition was ridiculous. I got a call. And I, I auditioned, you know, with everybody else. You get in a group and you improvise and blah, blah, blah. But Paul, Wils- uh, Paul Sills uh, wasn't there. But I got a call saying, uh, Paul Wilson, uh, Paul Sills. I have a friend named Paul Wilson. 
Paul Sills uh, says he wants to audition you. Uh, there'll be an, this address in an office, blah, blah, blah. So I went to this office on a Saturday, so it was an empty office. There was nobody there. And I went to the office, much like New York is now, as a matter of fact. So um, I went into the office. It was just him. And he was just sitting behind the desk, you know, just like it was an office. You know, he's sitting behind the desk just like this. And he goes, oh, hi, Larry. Okay, so um, now look. And he said the first thing he said to me was so cool. Great people, great directors say great things. That's all I got to say. Um, and his, his great thing that he said was, and I'm just standing there, and he goes, okay, look, Larry, um, don't try to make me laugh, please. You know, I'm about laughed out. Everybody comes in here, tries to make me laugh, you know. Don't. I didn't even want to laugh, okay? So that's out of the way. All right, now. Uh, and I'm going, uh-oh, wh what do I? <laughs> I'm a funny guy. What? That's, that's like a pie in the face or yeah, something. Just neutered you. I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I go, okay. He says, um, there's a key in this room. Find it. But we'll just look for it. Okay. And don't try to be funny. Okay. 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 So I start looking for this key, looking all over. And uh, I don't know how long I looked. I really don't. You know, it's just because uh, all things were running through my mind. Should I be funny here? This is, no, I better not. Okay. Da, da, da. And uh, finally, eventually he goes, okay, thanks a lot. I go, that's it. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I left, and about a week later, I go, okay, you're in. <laughs> now, but that is no different than any other great director. My word's great. My, you know, John Huston, Larry David, Paul Sills, Alan Meyerson, and, and a whole bunch of, you know, just look up the movie. If they're great, they never direct me. But that, that's their attitude. That's, oh, John Huston was great. I mean, I can go on like this, you know, but John, I guess John Houston is important enough that I can tell you his, because it was, they're all the same. When I went to audition for him, I go, oh, I'm auditioning for John Houston. It's for Annie, the movie Annie. Thought, wow, John Houston. I was a hippie. My hair was down to here, you know, and um, so I go in. Now, really important, and, you know, for John Houston, he has a really important casting director sets it up. But again, John Huston is there for the audition. It's a film and it's John Huston. But she's an important person. She, you know, hires people like De Niro and stuff like that. But she hired everybody in Annie. So she's an important person. So she should know better is what I'm saying. She, she, she should know how it works. So she says, okay, I got my hair down here. And I'm auditioning for a, uh, the dog catcher. I capture Annie's dog and give it to her. Uh, woof, Arf, whatever Arf is, <laughs> whoever Arf. Sandy, Sandy, the dog is Sandy. Right. Arf. Okay, so um, she says, okay, and she's bringing him in. He's on the set. He's already shooting Annie, so he's watching rushes, and he just turns to to us, and she all of a sudden she goes behind me and she grabs me by my shoulders and ushers me in to him. She pushes me towards him. And, and then she pushes him towards me and then he, she takes my hair and gathers it up and, you know, cuts it up like this to take it away. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says, you know, all of a sudden he got excited. What are you doing? What are you doing? And she says, you know, very mad. Well, I'm just pulling his hair back. So you see, he has to get his hair cut off. So I'm trying to see uh, if he says, and he interrupts her and he goes, don't touch 
my actors, please. And I thought, cool, man. What a cool thing to say. And he said, well, yes, but now she's trying to explain it. Well, yes, but I, I try to get the hair away from him so you could see I'm a director and I have imagination. And I think I can picture how he'll look. So thank you. And he's very push off of, you know, get away, get away. Wow. And I thought, wow, man, yeah. I'll do anything for you. Yeah. <laughs> this director, I'll do anything for you. You're sticking up for me. And, and she got and he said, uh, you know, this part, this for the dog catcher. Yeah. You know, you have to cut off your hair. Yeah. You want to? Yeah. You want the part? Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Larry. Thank you. And, and don't touch him. <laughs> Okay, you know, so she led me off, you know, this this way. You know. When I got onto the to the set, the first thing that I do is I go to the costume guy. Now, generally, when you go to your Winnebago or your dressing room, the costume is in your closet. But I like to go first because just in case it isn't, I can make a little choices. I can, you know, kind of say, "Can I wear this instead of that?" You know, so I, I generally try to go there first. So they, uh, that's what I did when I got to the place where they were filming, the studio. I said, where's the costume place for Annie? So I go there and I ask permission from the costume lady, um, where's the costumes for the dog catcher for Annie? Right there on this rack. And she shows me the whole rack, this choices. So I'm uh, going through it. Oh, and then a guy comes up to me and he says, what are you here for? I said, I'm a dog catcher for Andy. I'm looking for my costume. He says, here's your costume. And he hands me this. It looked like a piece of cardboard, a thick piece of cardboard. What it was, was it was a jumpsuit, you know, like a, like a mechanic's jumpsuit, you know, in a garage. Mm -hmm. But it was tan because it was a dog catcher. But it was a basic jumpsuit all the way up, you know. But he had folded. What he had done is he had washed it about 15 times. It was like brand new clean wasn't brand new, but it was brand new clean. And then he starched it. And then he folded it into a square about, I don't know, 14 inches square by about, I don't know, two inches thick, inch and a half thick. And he gave that to me. And he said, that's your costume. And I said, what is it? He says, it's a jumpsuit. You're the dog catcher. And I just, and I remember my father, when I was a little child, he would get his white the shirt starched the whole shirt starched mm -hmm. and i remember peeling up one sleeve because the sleeve was always, you know <laughs> but the sleeve was still pasted together but i peeled off the, the the body of the shirt and then i would open it and put my hand in it because it felt so cool to just you know <laughs> open it up you know so i peeled up one thing of it and i go and i pat pat down again and i go i can't wear this and he goes, well, you're going to have to. That's the costume. And I go, I'm not wearing this. Why not? Because it's clean and it's starched. I'm a dog catcher in 1930s in lower Manhattan, and I carry around dogs. I can't wear this. And I'm very adamant about it, you know. And he goes, well, you're going to have to wear it because he goes, you know, like he's very anal retentive, man. He's, <laughs> well, that's it. You're going to have to just wear it. And I go, no, I don't have to wear it, and I'm not going to wear it. I mean, again, it's the, the fired thing. Well, okay, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't have to have – no, I'm fired. I don't care. John Houston, fuck it. I don't care. 
She says, all right, we're going to have to go to John Houston, and we're going to have to talk to him. And I go, cool, let's do that. Because I remember, wait a minute, you know, get your hands away from him. Let's go, you know. Now, it had rained the night before, but it was sunny day, but there was, there was puddles around. So we're going out, and he was outside. Again, he's just looking at the rushes. So we, he sees us coming towards him, so he, he just says, okay, what's the problem? He just look, he looks away, what's the problem? Very, very calm, very, very fun. <laughs> he looks at me, says, oh, hello, Larry. What's the problem? And I, this guy speaks up. He's got the thing, a little platter of starched. Oh, man. He said, this actor will not put on his costume. And I go, hey, I mean, I can't wear that. I'm a dog catcher. It's all dirty. Give me the costume. You know, he just interrupted me. You know, my, my little rant, my defense. Give me the costume, please. He hands him the costume. And he says, thank you. And yet he gets up off the director's chair, walks away, and he walks to the biggest, nearest puddle, walks into the middle of it with his working shoes, not sneakers, just regular men's shoes, walks into the middle of the puddle, opens the thing up and drops it in the puddle, walks on it, stomps on it, picks it up, it's dripping wet and stuff, and he hands it to the guy and says, dry this off and put this on this actor. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> Back to the TV screen. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Larry, you, oh, you have man. so many stories. You better write a book. I am, I am. We'd love I to am. have you back. I have. I, cool. I know we're up at uh, up to time here. One quick question: When you're walking down sure. the street, all right, with all the characters that you have, I don't know how you keep it all in your head, but what do you get stopped the most uh, with? How, what, what do people? Mr. Heckles, Mr. Heckles, number one. Uh, Tom Pepper from Seinfeld, the, the raisins. <laughs> I don't know anything about raisins. I don't know anything about the raisins. I'm sorry. I can't even, I can't even approach the subject. It's in my contract. I can't talk about it. I don't, I've never seen a raisin. I don't know what a raisin looks like. Okay. Uh, Tom Pepper. And then uh, the third one, Breaking Bad. Oh, Joe. So those are the top ones. And then it kind of filters down. But friends by far. I think I have, I mean, this is just a guess just because of, you know, people coming at you. I have as many fan, friends fans from Mr. Heckles as I do from all the other, other things combined. I, I mean, it's just, uh, and they're all women, mainly women. I think 99.9% .9 of the fans are, are, when I say women, I'm talking about females from, 30, from 12 to about 50. And it's just evenly distributed. There's not, and, and the reason for that is that there's no, you know, lopsided thing about, oh, there's more of this than this. Is because Friends right now is in reruns all over the world. It's probably the most watched show ever invented, ever. Uh, I don't know that for a fact. It's just an assumption because of, of the fans. But uh, the 50-year-old the women from about 35 to 50, they're the original 13, 14, and 15-year-old girls that watched it when it was first on. Yeah. They now watch it with their 13, 15-year-old daughters. They watch it together. 
So I get fan mails from the kids saying, hey, my mom has a birthday. She loves friends. Send her a thing. Or they get the 50-year-old or the 35-year-old. And my daughter has been watching, you know, ever since she was a child. She's been getting married. She would like a message from Mr. Heckles. So they, they're they both sending it to each other through through Mr. Heckles. <laughs> so I get both ends. But very few guys. And if it's guys, it's, you know, hey, my wife watches Friends all the time. Or my daughter watches Friends all the time. Could you? And that's the guys who send it, you know. Or my girlfriend watches Friends all the time. So uh, no guy will cop to watching Friends. <laughs> Is this no, no, through, no uh... guys watch Friends. <laughs> no, oh, I watch it because she watches it. So, you know, we're sequestered. So we have to, I have to watch Friends. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're not a friend, yeah. But I, lo- but I love Mr. Eccles, man. He's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this through uh, Cameo, Larry? Yeah, Can yeah, yeah Cameo. Cameo? It's, it's, fucking, it's amazing, man. It's really yeah. amazing. Uh, awesome. Thing. I, I, but fans are amazing. I don't even get it. I mean, I'm fan. I, I'm kind of a fan, but, uh, you know, but not, not you know, I, I, I favor. It's like, you could say I'm a fan of Bob Dylan. You could say I'm a fan of, you know, uh, Brian Cranston, or, or all the all the people I mentioned. If I mention them in this thing, I'm a fan of it. But you know, I just in stories, I don't, you know, I don't follow them or bother them, or I'm even afraid to talk to them because I know how much they're bothered. Because you know, uh, fans are you know kind of nice. But one time I was in a, in a recently in, in a uh, the Whole Foods store, you know, and I have my black gloves on, I have gloves on because I got gray hair, man. It's the, the, this is my view my paradigm of the times of today when i leave my house i'm trying to save my life that's what i'm doing i'm trying to protect my life so i got the mask on i got gloves on you know when you go i got dark glasses on because my eyes are sensitive to the sun i live in california so i'm like you know uh and i generally wear a hoodie i don't put it up but you know i can if i want but I mean, it was, well, uh, Whole Foods and some guy recognized me, some couple recognized Hey, we love your work. How, did, how do you recognize me? How does that happen? I'm, I'm trying to hide from bugs. <laughs> and, and, and you can see through this, this disguise. That the uh, corona don't, won't even know. I have white hair. Rump. <laughs> Well, Larry, I feel like we could talk to you for a couple hours. There's a lot of stuff that uh, we didn't even get to, but uh, we don't want well, to take time. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely, uh, we'd love to have you on again. And uh, I'd love to, man. Awesome. And uh, tell people, like like you showed the t-shirts at the beginning, tell people oh, where yeah. they can find you. And, oh, yeah. Uh, all that the real, stuff. you can buy these. These are, uh, these, each one of these, that size. That's four feet by five feet or something like that. Those are $500 a piece. So, you know, I'm no piker, man. I'm no, no you know, Johnny come lately that walks on the street. But, but this, but this, ready? Drum roll. That, you can buy that. Uh, among uh, among 42 others at therealarryhankin.com. And there's my videos that I make, my own little films that I make. There's uh, 
my paintings. There will be T-shirts. The T-shirts will go on sale, and they won't. They won't be expensive. They'll be very cheap because because uh, these are way I can't afford these. <laughs> I cannot afford to send this to my sister. <laughs> I'm way above uh, my my. Uh, my finances. Uh, so, okay. So uh, you can buy these and then the, the, they'll be like 35, 40 bucks, you know, something that you can have enough for, but there's 40, 44 of them, different, different paintings and stuff. And they all match this color. I mean, I, I looked for a long time for the t-shirts that, you know, have the, there are, there are t-shirts. They're not, you know, uh, Hey, my team or, you know, they're sure. not like sneakers. Okay. That, that, that's the commercial. Awesome, man. Oh, and I, oh, I, wait, wait, one one more thing. I'm sorry. I have a movie coming out. It's called A Night in the Country. It's a it's a, a it's a chiller. Uh, okay. I play a cool part in it. Nice. And where, where can people up. find that? What? Where can people find that? Uh, well, I just wrote it, and a producer is shopping it around. So okay. <laughs> five or six years. <laughs> <laughs> Look for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the stand-up, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing the book. I'm, going to, I'm writing a book of all these stories that I've told you, plus more. And I'm going to do a, a, a one-man show out, uh, based on the book before the book comes out. So that, that's coming in a couple of months. Awesome. One-man show. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Larry. We thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Casey and Bill, thank you very much. Thank great you, Great show. Thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure. This is great. Okay. Out of sight, but you were ten, ten minutes too late.